Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome, part three of our series on the Ten Commandments. If you have not been here, uh, really what we want to do is just kind of give you a new perspective on the Ten Commandments, because I think for the most part, the vast majority of people, whether you grew up in church or this is your first time at church ever, you can look at the Ten Commandments and you can be like, okay, that's, that's, that's like the big ten, right? That's, that's the ten that God like put on tablets and Moses came down from the mountain. Remember that was Charlton Heston, wasn't it? And he came down. Or what was the other one that was the comedy where he came down with three and then he dropped one? Remember that one? He's like, here are the 15, and then it was like, I mean the Ten Commandments. And so like these are God's big holy ten, and this is the ten that determines whether you get in or not. You know, this, this ten was so important, he chiseled it in stone, gave it to Moses, and said everything's built around these ten, and if you're really, really good... You keep these 10. If you're really, really bad, it's you're, you're breaking these 10. And this becomes the gauge by which we determine whether you're a good person and whether you get into heaven and whether all these things. And like, and then most of us would be like, yeah, that's a big deal, the 10 commandments. And that's, you know, if we determine whether we're a good person or not is, is based on the 10 commandments. But if I were to say, hey, well, can you name them all? You'd be like, no, but I'm keeping them, bless God. That's important. But we don't, we don't even know what they are. And so Because of that, it introduces a religious idea, not a true idea, just a religious idea that actually I think does more harm than it does good, and it pushes you further away from God rather than bringing you closer, and we have got the wrong idea about the Ten Commandments because everything I just said is wrong. It had nothing to do with that. Heaven's never mentioned in the book of Exodus where the Ten Commandments is found, and it was not, let's, we put it like this, it, it wasn't a set of laws to see if you could get in. God gave us the law because we were already in. Like God delivered these bunch of slaves that had done nothing, accomplished nothing, weren't necessarily good because they didn't even know what bad was. God just rescued them, saved them, and delivered them. And only in light of that did God decide to say, hey, look, now that you're free, I want you to stay free and prosper. So I'm going to give you these 10 rules or commands or even principles that will set you up for success. And that's really where the genesis of the Ten Commandments comes from. It's not from you giving like this, this barometer to see if you're good or bad or get in or don't get in. It was God trying to keep free people free because he had already loved and deliver them. And so in, in week two, we talked about this idea that you can definitely do this today, whether you have a parent or a boss or whatever. You can tell a lot about a person by the type of rules they give. Like the rules they give are just they like, yep, yeah, okay, I get you now. Like this is what you care about. This is what matters to you most. And, and you, can, you can have a boss that's so detail-oriented that he cares how you filled out the report to the T. And if you didn't do that, he's mad that you didn't fill out your TPS reports just right. Or, or, or you have a boss that's like totally carefree, but bless God, if you didn't hang out, if you didn't talk, if you didn't connect with people relationally and you made everybody mad, that, that, you could fill out TPS reports all day long. You can figure out what he cares about most. And here's what we learned about the first two commands. What we learned about is, is that in essence, God cared more about recognition than he did obedience. And what he was saying in this first opening command when he said, I want to be your one and only God. You can have no other gods in addition to me. That was the first one. And also, don't make any idol or image or shrink me into a statue or a place or a time or a building or any of that. You don't shrink me down and make me into an idol. And what he was in essence saying was this, is I want to be your one and only God. I want to be the centerpiece of your life. I want you to recognize me. Before I've given you a do and a don't, 
Just know I want to be first and recognize this first above all. Now, in light of that, we start to move forward. And now the rules become a little bit more detailed. But even this next one seems kind of odd. Does anybody know what the third command is? Or you just remember from the video? Nothing? Okay, good. So it's a good thing you're here today then. So the, so, the, so the very first command is to have no other gods in addition to me. And the second one was, don't shrink me down into an image or an idol or a place or a time. Don't, don't you shrink me down. I'm too big for that. Don't lock me away. You can't put me in a, in, 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 a, in, a, in a drawer and forget about me. You can't put me into a trinket and take me some places and leave me home other nights. You know, you can't roll like that. I go everywhere. You cannot limit me. Now, the third command is this. The third command, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 7 says this. And let's, let's go King James for a second. Because King James would say it like, uh, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in... Yeah, y'all remember that. You see, you didn't even know it was the third command, but it was in your heart. That's, you knew, you knew. So now, now the NIV says it a little bit different. It says that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, which the application of this is very clear. And we all know this from our childhood. That if you were to ever, um, you know... You, you, if you're taking a hammer and then all of a sudden you hit your thumb and you call on Jesus in a non-prayerful way, that was taking the Lord's name in vain, right? Or homeboy cuts you off in traffic and you decide to damn him by the Lord's name just so that he lives a cursed life from that day forward. Or she, this is equal opportunity in which we, in which we damn people to places. That's, or, you know what the worst is? Have you ever, ever done this? You ever get up in the middle of the night and then you hit your toe on like the corner of the bed or the corner of the coffee table? Oh, Lord Jesus. And you cry out in such vain ways. You know what I'm talking about. You, you know, it, whatever it is for you. And, and that, that just was what, I don't know about you, but that's what my mama told me was the meaning and the application of the third command, right? That just makes sense, right? You don't take the Lord's name and turn it into a curse word. And if you do that, that's really, really bad. And it's so bad that this, this is before murder, by the way. Like that whole like murder thing, we'll get to that soon, but don't you dare. <laughs> don't you, your kid comes home with an F? Don't you dare, you know, use my name to curse that child because he's not that smart. Okay, don't you do that. And that's what we thought the command was. And just so you know, like, this is a command that I think other people have misinterpreted too because, like, even, like, um, like the Jews do this. If you ever read, like, even modern Jewish rabbis today, many of them, when you read their writings, and if, when it comes to the part where they talk about God, you'll see G-D. They won't even write it. They're like, no, 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 it's too holy. We can't write the name of God. It's too holy. And they won't say the Lord. They'll say something else. Or they would never say, like in the, in the Old Testament, when you see the Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps, it's, it's what they would call, that's the personal name of God. It was four Hebrew letters, no vowels, and they, that, that was it. But they would never say that. As a matter of fact, check this out. And this is one of the reasons why we believe um, that, that the accuracy of Scripture over time holds true because we know certain things about the way that the scribes were. Like, like back, okay, think Gutenberg made the printing press, right? But before that, how did you get a copy of the Bible? Well, people had to like hand write, hand copy 
the Bible. And you had to be a professional to do this. Like your Uncle Larry could make a copy of the Bible, okay? You had to be a trained professional scribe. And this is what they would do. They would be writing a copy of the Bible. And when they got to the Lord's name, they would grab a different pen and a different set of ink. And then they would write the Lord's name and then they would put that back. That's how holy it was. They were like, you can't touch the name. How many had like a parents that like um, wouldn't let you cuss? You know what I'm saying? They just wouldn't. That's good. That's good, by the way. But like some of y'all had parents that were like, wouldn't let you like Christian cuss. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like you can't say obviously like the, the curse word, but you can't say like the word that sounds like the, like you can't say gosh darn it. Because that'd be too close to getting to the real thing, right? Like that. And that's the way, that's in essence what they were doing. The Jews were saying, hey, we won't even say gosh darn it so that we don't even get close to saying that other one that will clearly send us straight to hell because that is the third command. Now, how many know that sounds a little bit ridiculous to say, hey, before we think about murdering and committing adultery, don't you dare use this name. Now, um, let me make an obvious point here. That's not what this means. There was clearly something more important going on in play here. But let's be honest, like, if you really love and honor someone, you don't use their name like a curse word, okay? But this, this is about much more than a curse word. So what they were running into was, again, remember, this is the very beginning. And the very first thing that God shows them is this, is that recognizing me first in all things, first and foremost, the center of all things, and don't shrink me down, was, this, was the starting point of everything. But he knew what he was giving them. He knew that all the commands to follow, everything he was going to teach them and show them was so important that they were going to mess it up. So he put this third, this third command in here. And this is what the third command actually means. This is what he's really saying. He's saying this. Don't associate God's name with something that God has nothing to do with. Okay? I want you to think about this. Another way of putting it would be like this. Don't leverage God's name for you to get your way. Because what I'm giving you is so powerful. It's so potent. It's so true. It's so, I'm telling you, it's huge. And it'll change the world if you'll just trust me and listen to me. But it's so powerful that there will be a temptation for you to take it and abuse it, to take it and use it for your own gain, to take it for more power, more control. And we see this throughout history. But like, I want you to get you to see, like, what I'm talking about is this. When you were a kid, I, I did this when I was a kid. I had an older brother. And when you have an older brother, um, they're bigger, stronger, and faster than you for most of your childhood, right? Okay, that changes eventually, you know what I'm saying? And then there's retribution. But for a long time, my brother was bigger, stronger, faster. So sometimes for me to get my way, I had to lie and leverage. So you ever do this before you go outside and your brother's playing on the toy that you wanna be playing with? And I knew I couldn't take that toy from him physically. He could still beat me up then, right? And, but I wanted that toy. And so I learned that there was this tactic that I could use where I'd come to him and be like, oh yeah, hey, uh, dad came out here and told me that you have to give me that toy. And did dad say that? Nope. Sometimes you'd use it a different way. Hey, dad really, really needs to see you right now. And then he would have to leave said toy and then I would get the toy. Now I might get beat up later, but it was worth it. For, for some toy action. And so th- this is in the essence what God is saying here. It's like, don't, don't you run out into this world and take my name and throw it on something that you... That's, this is what we call identity theft. We have laws for this right now, right? Because we live in a whole new world, technology world. Because like, how many of you ever like, you think about 
your identity getting stolen and then somebody using your name and your credit card for their advantage and their gain or their prosperity. That's, this is the same idea that's going on here. And just so you know, like this is exactly what happens to the Jewish people. This is what's going on in the time of Jesus. So like, think about this. There are certain things in the gospels that don't make sense to us because we really don't understand their culture and their time and some of the little things and little idioms and little things that they have. Here's one of them. There was, there's, there was this one time where Jesus goes in to the temple courts and the bible says that he made a whip which sounds crazy because we normally think about jesus with like you know long flowing beautiful hair very conditioned a nice robe some birkenstocks he's got a child on his lap he's feeding people he really loves people right that's normally what we see but in this case the bible says he went and made a whip now i want you to think about that that's this is premeditated okay like, this is, the, anyway, he goes and makes a whip, and then he goes into this temple area and starts cracking the whip, and then he takes tables and flips them over, and then he's, like, yelling at people, telling them to get out. And we're like, Jesus has anger issues. Like, if you did this at the mall today, you'd be arrested by a mall cop and put in a little room somewhere. So, like, like this is, Jesus went berserker on the whole situation. And then you got to ask yourself, okay, why? What would make Jesus who loves everyone, go into the temple courts and do this. And again, this, this is what's really going on here. Let's read the scripture and I'll, I'll show you what it, what it says and it makes more sense of it. Luke 19 says this. It says, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. And then he kind of cries out, it is written, he says to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus, in one of his angriest moments, basically it's, it's righteous anger, it's righteous indignation, because what you don't know is this, is that what's going on here, and ultimately, if you don't know this, this is why they killed Jesus. If you ever wonder, like, what was the real deal behind why they killed Jesus? Wasn't he just a nice guy? He was, but he was messing with their corrupt religious system because what they had done, these Pharisees, what they had done is they had taken the temple and figured out how to monopolize it in the name of God. So, for example, there were like these different layers of the temple, and on the outer court, the furthest court outside was called the court of the Gentiles. And what they had done was, instead of having the Gentiles have their own place for a place of prayer, they had come in with either selling lambs and doves, or they had these money exchanging tables, because this is what they had figured out. The temple had figured out how to monopolize all of the sacrificial animals. So they had a monopoly on it. They controlled all the animals. So when a religious leader comes up and says, hey, if you don't sacrifice a little animal, you can't be made right with God. What do you got to do? You better go get yourself an animal. But who's got all the animals? They do. So they start jacking up all the prices on the lambs so that you got to pay. This is like being at the ball game when like they got you. They got that hot dog is not worth $10, but you don't got options. It's the same principle, except it's deeper. It's not like how hungry you are that day. It's am I right with God or not? That's how big of a deal. They were leveraging how they were in relationship with God. They were leveraging where they were right with God. And they were saying, hey, you got to buy this lamb. So they would jack the lamb's price all the way up. Then the other thing they would do is they figured out another way to make money. And so what they did was, is they said, not only do you have to buy this lamb that we just jacked the price way out of proportion, what we want you to do too is you have to buy it with temple money. So when you come from all around and you got regular money, what you have to do is go to the exchange tables and then you have to exchange your money for temple money so that you can buy the overpriced lamb. But see, what they were doing was that they were manipulating the exchange rate so then you had to give a whole lot of money just to get back a little bit of money so that you could buy said jacked up price on the lamb. 
Are you tracking with me? And they were doing this all in the only place that the Gentiles had to come and pray and worship God. How do you think that made God feel? God was angry on that day, and Jesus expressed that anger by driving them out. And that's why he said, you've made it a den of robbers. He was challenging their corruption. And this is where they had power and money, and they had all the reason in the world. Because what they had done was, is they had taken God's name and attached it to what they were trying to do for their own selfish and evil purposes. So watch, there's another one where this happens again. This This one's not in the temple. This is just personal mess. Look at this. So... There's this, weird, um, there's this weird thing in the Bible where they use a term that we don't really know. It's called Corbin. Everybody say Corbin. It was something they made up, but this is, this is how it works. Watch this, Mark 7. So the Bible says um, that Jesus continued to speak to him. He said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions, like whatever you made up. Because Moses has said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, you got your own deal, your own system, your own way, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mom or dad is now Corbin, and that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you, may, that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. this is, see, this is what happened. So like, imagine you're a young man and you make a money and you've got a job and you've got income and mom and dad have gotten older in age. Now in their society and culture, you were to take care of mom and dad. That was just a natural way of doing things. And so what, what happened was though, is the Pharisees figured out a way to where they could get more money. And so what they said, they came up with this, own, this new thing called Corbin and they said, hey, look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. All that money you got, you can pre-dedicate that to God and so you can keep on using it and doing whatever you want to it, but when you die, it'll just go to God. And so that way, when your mom and dad say, hey, can you help us out? Hey, can you, you know, take care of us? You can step back and say, no, mom, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm sorry I can't take care of you. My money has been dedicated to the Lord. You see how corrupt this is? This was the Pharisees angling and literally mom and dad are going hungry in their old age because the Pharisees had put God's name on something that God had never put his name on. That was, wasn't that the fifth command, by the way, if you didn't know this, this is the fifth command, honor your father and mother. And this is what Jesus is challenging. Jesus is challenging this idea that don't you dare, what you've been given is so crucial, it's so important, don't you dare begin to abuse it for your own selfish gain. And we see this, you know, beyond the day of Jesus, we see like, remember the Middle Ages? We talk about the Crusades, where basically these English armies went to go and free Jerusalem, and they had a battle cry, and their battle cry was this, God wills. That was like their battle cry. That was the propaganda they had put out there that, hey, God has chosen us to go free Jerusalem from the Muslims and we're going to go and we're going to kill and slaughter and overtake. And that was the crusades that we talk about. It's this kind of black eye in Christian history where you know what they did? They took, they took command number three and they threw it out the window because what they did was they put God's name on something that God had never put his name on. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Watch this. Watch this. Was Jerusalem free when Jesus was living in Jerusalem? Okay, no is the answer. He was living underneath Roman oppression, Roman governors, Roman taxes, Roman military invasion even, like military occupation. And Jerusalem is completely overtaken by Rome during the time of Jesus. And did Jesus ever get up in any of his sermons or declare at the end of his life, hey, let's make Jerusalem free? 
He never said, go and make Jerusalem free. You know what he said? He said, go make disciples of all nations. But one, somewhere down the road, we decided we can get more power, more money, more leverage. We can do what we want, get our way. All we have to do is attach God's name to it. Somebody said, that's good. That's good. Now I, now I understand history a little bit. Now I understand the Bible a little bit. Um, we see this throughout, like, even like more modern history. Like in America even, there was a time of slavery in America where like slave owners tried to, and I don't even know how they did this. Like I, I, no one had their brains turned on at this moment in history. But they tried to use the scripture to justify slavery. And you're like, how are you gonna do that? I don't, I, I'm missing the boat here. Like just recently in Virginia, we've got like these idiot people who are gathering and many of them will say something like, no, don't try to put God's name on what they're doing. They're breaking this third command all throughout history. Check this out. Like if you ever wonder where we come from as Christians and what the difference is between like us and like the Catholic church, like the difference between us and the Catholic church was is that at a point in time in history, this church, what they call the Protestant church, broke off from the Catholic church. Because what the Catholic church had done is the Catholic church, okay, let, let's, let's talk about this real quick here. They had created, much like the Pharisees, certain traditions. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying all Catholics are Catholics today, but at this point in time, the Catholics had, had created something called indulgences. Anybody ever heard of this? Indulgence. This is what indulgence were. So Martin Luther is the leader of this reformation. He's the leader of the Protestant movement because what he did was he, he read the Bible because most people couldn't read the Bible. It wasn't written in their language. But Martin Luther read the Bible and he's like, man, y'all are jacking this thing up because they had broken the third command. What they had done was is that they had created a system because nobody could read the Bible. And so whatever I get up and say, you just got to believe me and hope that I'm a good guy, right? Because you don't know the difference. You can't read the Bible for yourself. And so they got up and said, hey, here's a way that you can atone for your sins. Just write a bigger check. If you'll give more money, if you'll do more work for the church, we'll give you indulgences, which basically is your forgiveness from your sins. How many know that's powerful? Like when you can just say, hey, look, you're going to burn in hell. Sorry, but I'll let you get out if you cut a check today. That's powerful stuff to people who all of a sudden God and religion and all the fear and the threat and all this stuff is hanging over them. And, 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 and so uh, now, now here's probably what you're saying, because this is what I thought about too. You're probably saying, okay, Todd, I'm not the leader of the Catholic church. This doesn't apply to me. I'm not a Pharisee. I, I, none of this. But you know what I think? I think we can kind of shift this and move this into our own personal agenda. And, and ultimately, this is, this is what I mean by that. Um, did you ever, as a kid, maybe if you grew up in church, feel like at some point that you like, you got God in a loophole? Okay, this, this is what I mean by that. I remember being a kid, and before I had a personal relationship with God, I just remember thinking about the idea of church and God and sin and forgiveness. I'm like, man, this is pretty easy. This is a pretty easy gig. I think I got this figured out. Because I read this Bible verse, right? So in 1 John 1, 19, it, it says this. It says that basically, if we confess our sins, that God's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I would hear these scriptures going up in a, in a Baptist church, like God loved me and hey, if you just confess your sin, God will always forgive you. And I thought, Psh, piece of cake. I got this. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go do whatever I wanna go do. And then when I mess it all up, I'm just gonna go to God and ask for forgiveness. Bam, got it. And you know what God thought to himself? He's like, holy cow, why did I put that in there? You got me. How do I get out of this? <laughs> do you see why the third command was put in there? Like, like if you grew up Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. Like I know Catholic buddies are like, oh yeah, like confessional. 
You would go to confessional, and so you'd just generate a bunch of sin and put it in your sin bucket, but then you'd go to confessional and dump out your sin bucket, and you're like, I'm all good. I'm ready to go build that sucker back up. You know what you found? You found your system. You found your way of not leveraging, because the Pharisees and the, and the leaders of, of, of history, history they, they were leveraging God to get their own way in the world. You're just leveraging God against God so that you can get your way. It's just a different version of it. But it's still all this big idea of I'm breaking this third command. See, God knew. God wasn't dumb. God knew. He goes, I know what y'all are like. Y'all can be like, oh, we got him in a loophole. Oh, we'll just do that. He's, the third command is so in, incredibly important. And here's what God was really saying, if you want to take notes and write this down. Don't make up religious systems to get your way. Like, be so careful. Do not try to create your own loopholes. Never try to take God's name and put it on something you wanted. I remember listening to a preacher one time, and he was like, God told me to divorce my wife so that I could go marry, and literally, this, this was the, the story was, is I wanted to go marry this pretty young thing that was 20 years younger than my wife, and God told me to go. I'm like, what? God told you what? See, like, this is, this is why the Bible was written, so we had this moral will of God that we could follow and we could always know. Have you ever, ever thought about this before? Think about it. Why are the Ten Commandments so important? Have you ever thought about why Leviticus is so important? If you've ever tried to do, like, Bible through a year program, you quit by the time you got to Leviticus? You're like, dear Lord, what in the world is all this stuff? This seems so hard. This seems so difficult. I can't believe there was a rule for all this stuff because, really, Le Leviticus was the application of the Ten Commandments in all these little detailed ways. But here, here's why this was so important. This was so huge to them. This was revolutionary at the time. See, before the book of Leviticus and before the Ten Commandments, nobody knew who was really right with God and who wasn't. Nobody knew what the rules were and what they weren't. And so he, here's the thing with that. Whenever a religious leader can get up and make this the rule and then a year later make this the rule, the rules are always a moving target. The book of Leviticus was revolutionary because basically it let you know what God was good with and what he wasn't good with, what he was okay with and what he wasn't okay with. You didn't have to guess anymore and you were never at the mercy of a leader who would break the third commandment. But this is in essence what we do and we start doing it on, on this personal level. Not only are we you know, finding times in history where we leverage God to get our own way as people, but sometimes just as individuals, we leverage God against God so that we can keep behaving and acting and doing whatever we want. I just want you to know, God's not fooled. You don't got God tricked. There is no real loophole. That's why the third command was created. So that you could never say, ha, 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 God, I got you now. You don't. And this is how big of a deal this was to your heavenly father. Now watch this. This is, gets crazy because there's an add-on to this. There's a warning attached to this command. So remember it said, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for, I say for, we're moving forward, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now you're asking like, Todd, what does that mean? I don't even know, but it sounds bad. Like, what do you mean he won't hold me? It sounds like you don't get out of this one. It sounds like, look, I'm going to forgive a whole bunch of stuff. And it's not this is completely unforgiving, but, but like, I just want you to know you're going to reap it on this one. This is so big. This is so important. I don't want you to miss this. I never want you to leverage my name so you can get your way. And this is so important. Like, I need you to know, like, there's consequences that come along with this. And the reason why, because you could easily say, but I thought God was loving and kind and all this stuff. He is. That's why it's in here. Think about this. God thought it was so important because he knew if people broke this command that they would lie, they would hurt other people, they would manipulate other people, they would abuse other people. 
that everything would be lost if people started breaking this command. See, here's what you need to know. Like from the very beginning, the Jewish people were chosen not because they were any more special in and of themselves, but God chose a people group because he had to start somewhere. And he said from the very beginning, these radical ideas like this, like Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So I can't get a group of people who know me and know the right way and then leverage it against the whole world will miss the point. See, I'm trying to reach the whole... Remember Isaiah? We talk about Israel being a light unto the Gentiles. Jesus kept going with this theme. He goes, no, no, no. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. This is not a, a Jewish thing or a national thing. This is a global thing. This is a kingdom thing. And you can't ever restrict this because people are going to get hurt and abused and taken advantage of, or you're just going to miss an opportunity. Because what I chose Israel to do was I chose them to be the light to the world and that through them, all the earth would be blessed. They will miss this. And they did. Clearly, Christianity. Remember, remember in, 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 when, when John said, when he described heaven, he goes, heaven will be full of every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This thing needs to go everywhere. There was this global agenda, not a national agenda, a global agenda to take Jesus to the whole world. And he goes, and if you start leveraging my name to get more power, to get more money for you to get what you want, this whole thing is lost. That's why the third command it's so absolutely important. So in, in light of that, here's what I want to get you to see. If you're taking notes. If you get into the habit of dodging the law of God in the name of God, you will miss God. So of all the things that might be the most crucial or most important or the most consequential, it's this one. See, the Pharisees prove this, don't they? Remember those first verses where Jesus was like, hey, look, you've missed it. Hey, you, you've, you've disobeyed the commands of God so that you can keep your own systems. And your systems just get you more power, more control, more money. You've missed it. Now, the Pharisees, this is what you need to know about Pharisees. The Pharisees were put in charge and were the ones that were taught and trained to recognize Messiah when he came. And when Jesus showed up, they missed it. They had no idea and they absolutely missed it. And here's my point. Here's my warning to you. Not only is there some level of consequence when you leverage the name of God for your own purposes, this is what God, the, the third command was really about, but he's also saying this, be careful because when you do this, you're going to miss me all together. Or we can put it this way, you can believe in God your whole life and never actually have a relationship with God. Come on, church people, like wake up real quick here. I'm talking about people that grew up in church. You need to be careful here. You can grow up in church your whole life you can believe in God your whole life and still miss it. The Pharisees proved that. And they proved it because their heart had grown hard. They had missed the point. They had missed God. They would missed it all because they had forgot about the third command. And think about this. This is, this is what I wanted to get you to see. It all began with a relationship. Remember that? Remember the whole beginning of it where he said, I am the Lord, your God. I already brought you out of Egypt. I already delivered you out of slavery. This is personal. I want to be your God. It all began with a relationship. Don't dare let it move into some type of system. And this was the point of the third command. This whole idea of like never, listen, it's relational, it's personal. I want to be first in your life and never, ever, ever let it move into a system. This is where you see like there's some radical statements where Jesus has a parable or a teaching or whatever, and he uses this phrase, I'm sorry, I never knew you. He never says you weren't a good person. He's like, I never knew you. They're like, no, no, you got into a system. 
It was never personal. Like, for instance, there's these guys that come to Jesus in Matthew 6, these guys that come to Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, and they start giving a laundry list of all that they'd done. And he goes, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Or there's this parable. There's this parable where, like, there's these people trying to get into a party, and some of them get in, and the other ones are late for the party, and they kind of miss the party. And when they show up, the doors have already been closed, and they knock on the door, and like, hey, we're here, will you let us in? And on the other side, they hear a voice, and they're saying, sorry, we can't let you in, I don't know you. So if you're here today and you think, no, I got a system. I know I go to church at least once a month. I try to show up at least before Todd starts the sermon. I know I try to go to church on at least Christmas and Easter. I know that when I sin, I can go to God and just ask for forgiveness. So I've got that dialed in. if, If you've got God pegged down to a system, you've missed it. You've missed everything. You've missed the most important thing. And it was this. It was that God wanted to have a personal relationship with you. So in light of that, whenever, whenever you see these rules, these laws, these commands, I want you to know that it all generated with a heavenly father who already decided to save you and deliver you. He, I want you to think about this. He already sent his son Jesus to die for you if you'll just accept it. So like, that's already done. That's already there. That's already taken care of. That's already left right on the table for you. From this point forward, he's just saying, just don't ever let it move into something other than what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a personal relationship. So you know when you obey God? I want you to obey God relationally. When you, when you pray to God, I want you to pray to God relationally. It's not a system. There are no magical prayers that if I just say this, that's like incantation stuff. There's no magical prayers. Even the Lord's Prayer. You know what he said right before he taught you how to pray with the Lord's Prayer? He said, don't make vain repetitions, meaning like, don't just say the same thing over and over and over again. This is not a magic trick. This is not if I quote the same prayer over that magic happens. This is personal. This is relational. You pursue God relationally. You surrender to God relationally. You obey God relationally. You view the commands of God through this incredible relationship. Everything starts with this idea that God dearly loves you, that he wants to be connected to you in the most personal way. And if you ever miss that and move it into a system, you've missed the whole point. This is why he said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Or let's just put it in simple terms. Don't misuse the name of God. There's too much at stake here because I want to use you to change the whole world. And I can't do that if you turn everything into a system. And I want to have a personal relationship with you. And I can't do that if you turn everything into a system. This needs to stay relational. Let's pray this morning. If you're in here today and you say, man, okay, now I know not to cuss, but also there's something bigger in play here. And maybe today you've been challenged. Maybe you're like, wow, I did, man. I just came because my wife made me and I thought if we came, then that would make us good with God. And God really cared about my church attendance and he does, he wants you here. But like, it's not a system. There's not a box in heaven. There's not an attendance list. Remember when you were a kid at the end of school, they would give out a a reward for all the kids who had perfect attendance. They don't keep that in heaven. It's not a system. It's about a personal relationship between you and God. And it started with him before you had done anything, before you'd accomplished anything, before you'd obeyed anything, because trust me, God saved you before you had ever kept one rule. And listen to me, if breaking the rules is what got us out, is what would get us out, we'd all be out. It's about that personal relationship that God wants to have with you. So be very, very careful today. I want to encourage you, be very, very careful never to throw God's name on anything that God didn't put his name on. Never do that. But the application for most of us today is not that. Most of us are not religious leaders who are going to leverage God's name to get their own way and agenda. For most of us, it's personal. It's God, don't turn you into a system 
whereby if I'll just say the right words or have the right attendance or go through the right checklist or obey these commands just so, that that takes care of business. That is not what it was about. This was about God having a personal relationship with you. And because of that relationship that you have with God, God wants to use you to change the world around you. And so, Father, we come to you today, God, and for some of us, we just need to repent and say, God, please forgive me. God, we're, 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 God, we didn't know. We missed the boat. We, we, we thought there was a list and a rules, and if we, we kept the rules, we'd be good with you. But, God, it's bigger than that. We need to know you, and we need to be known by you. We need to open up our hearts and our minds to you and make this personal and relational. God, you didn't come to give us a system. You came so that we may know you. And so, God, help us from this point forward pursue you, not through a system, but through a relationship. Father, pray. We pray that you would help us with that on this journey, Lord. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.